Welcome everyone to Watch Your Story. I'm your host Emmanuel Mutui, and my guest today is a name that I've been hearing for quite some time. I love soccer, and every time I was playing with some of my friends, I would just hear this guy's name like, yeah, look is this, look is this, look is this. And I'm like, who is this guy? So we randomly meet one day, and I knew immediately I have to get him on the show. So without further ado, I'm not going to say his last name because I'm pretty sure I'm going to butcher it. So welcome, Luke. Manny, very good to be here. How I'm do you say your last name? Vercoloni. Vercoloni. And it's Italian, so if you want the Italian accent, Vercelone. What? <laughs> you have to use your hands. <laughs> yes, you do. He's my second official Italian on the show. All right. Vince Dacchioli was my first Italian. All right. But you choose to fill here. Yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> but we're just going to jump in your story because I know you, you've done a lot of things. He's done a, a lot in the soccer, in the competitive sports world. And now you're doing a lot of stuff in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to talk about the event that you just had this past week and just share your yeah. thoughts on so it. So here, at even at um, the Road Church, which is an amazing church, honored to come here to the men's group. But we're partnered with uh, the Road and Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a ministry I work with. And they are teaching the youth pro-life curriculum. So it's called the course is called Made in His Image. And they're teaching the kids about the sanctity and dignity of human life and they're doing it in a way that's interesting and appealing to young kids. That's not an easy thing to do, but the team over here at the road is doing it. I was honored to be a part of that. I shared a little bit of my testimony and spoke to the kids, which is never easy because their attention span and the tough questions they ask. So um, that was so cool Wednesday night. I love what the road is doing, not only with the pro-life, but with the men as well. Both are two areas that God has really placed on my heart. Mm-hmm. So let's go back and start. Uh, where are you from? I am. I grew up in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. so um, Plymouth. If you guys know where Plymouth, like Cape Cod area, so south of Boston, and I, yeah. uh, I grew up in a big family, ten really? brothers and sisters. Yeah. Wow. So I was the second oldest. So mm-hmm. always had like a leadership position, you know, because my little siblings looked up to me. So people are like, was that weird growing up with 10 siblings? And I, and I always say, no, it wasn't weird because that's all I knew. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, for anybody else, that would be crazy, but mm-hmm. that's what you're used to every day. So mm-hmm. uh, that was incredible. And the first six were boys, so very masculine upbringing. Sports was a huge part of it. Played yes. every sport mm-hmm. um, you can imagine and, and really excelled in those. And Wow. Uh, all of our family, mm-hmm. super athletic family. It's like, oh, what college are you going to get a scholarship to? Oh, your D two scholarship? That's not as good. Like the expectation was like, like I said, ten siblings was normal. Getting a full ride to D one was also normal. So it's like, that's not normal for most people. But for us and our family, mm-hmm. uh, it's like it was a crazy upbringing. But it was very neat. How did you? What did you want to be when you grew up? Because you are the second oldest, so you, I yeah. guess you had your brother to look up to. So being in Massachusetts especially, so Boston, you know, you got the Red Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, the yeah. Bruins, and the New England Revolution with soccer there. And all of those sports teams are like super popular. So when I grew up, I was like, I'm going to be a pro athlete. So right from like age five, I joined my older brother's soccer team at uh, he was U5, I was four playing with the big kids, you know, and, and I, would, I would crush it, you know. And so <laughs> I wasn't fast enough, you know, to play football or big enough or tall enough for basketball. And my patience, like, I can't keep still. So baseball's out. But um, so I was like, soccer, you know, why not soccer? Right. And I really excelled there. And even from, like, the age of 10, I was like, I want to be a pro soccer player. Wow. Yeah. This is 
what what year is this? 2022 today. No, <laughs> no, no, the year that you wanted to be. You're trying to guess how old I am? No, no, no. I'm trying to because MLS was founded in '96. Yeah. So this is the. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Before that, yeah. So I was in '92. I was 10. Yeah. It was right and by the first World Cup in the U.S. '94. Mm-hmm. Because I'm trying to see where did that interest come from to be a pro athlete in soccer? Because MLS is doing good now, but yeah, pre-MLS. Yeah, well, the World Cup, having the World Cup in the U.S., mm-hmm. and I went to a game there at Gillette Stadium, so that Ooh, was a part of it. Who played? Um, I don't even know, and it was, but I do know it was the only 0-0 draw in the whole World Cup that year. Wow. we were at that game, so <laughs> <laughs> it was like two no-name teams, and they tied 0-0. When I say no-name, at least for me, it was no-name, yeah. and they were probably like El Salvador and Guatemala. <laughs> not like something. the usual powerhouse. Yeah, not like Brazil or Argentina or mm-hmm. something, so... I think just being in that sports culture of Boston and then being good at soccer and then having the World Cup and going to a game and my father coached and my brother played, you know, as a young age, all those things uh, really factored in. Yeah, what position did you start off playing? Uh, midfield. Okay. Always in the midfield, sometimes out wide, sometimes inside. Because I know that's what you end up playing yeah. in your pro sport. Career. Yeah, too short to be <laughs> a center back or a striker. I don't know. So what's your? Because I love soccer, so we better have some soccer talk here. Yeah, yeah. What is your when you? Because every midfield player, every soccer player has like a vision of how they think the game should be played. Mm-hmm. You as a midfield player, were you a six or eight or five? Um. So it changed throughout my career. I I ended my career as a ten, like oh. attacking center mid. Okay. I think my best position's an eight. Which is okay. a box to box. Yeah. I, I don't know if the audience oh, yeah, knows, knows what this <laughs> All right. So a ten is a attacker, striker, like Lionel Messi, mm-hmm. probably. Not a nine. A nine's a target forward. Um, he supplies he's like yeah. a point guard. You supply um, the ammunition. Yeah, but very offensive minded. Um, eight is box to box. You know, right. center midfield, but you're covering so much. And that was probably my best position I'd say but I played I played six in with six is more of a defensive mm-hmm. midfielder they're typically three center mids but I, I was growing up there was like a sweeper like oh, positions yeah. were different back then because 442 was the yeah main. four 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 two back then now it's like a uh, like a three five two or four well I mean it depends on what you call a six yes <laughs> true, a I defender know. or an attacker right but yeah it depends on the coach hmm. but yeah no I, I liked playing in the center of the park so walk me through the development of your soccer career in mm-hmm. that time pre-college yeah. so college was a big decision because I was getting scholarship offers at division two colleges and I was not getting a scholarship to the school I wanted to go to which was Seton Hall University which was division one uh, my older brother was playing there at the time the coach was excellent, the school was good in, in New Jersey, and that's where I wanted to go. And so I could have gone scholarship D2 or non-scholarship, which is called a walk-on D1. So that was a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer and discernment. It's like, God, what do you want? Like, this is a huge leap of faith. Like, I think I'm good, but so do the players on the team who are actually getting paid to play on that team. They probably have a little bit of an advantage, and they're probably decent as well. And I took that leap of faith. And I walked on to Seton Hall University. So as a walk-on, um, I started every game there in my career, pretty much, except for senior day, some, some games when all the seniors start. But, you know, had a phenomenal career right from the start. So it was a real blessing, a real um, consolation from the Lord by trusting in Him and taking that leap. Because mm-hmm. I said, if I wanted to play pro soccer, which I knew I wanted to do, I'm going to have to play D1, or at least I thought I needed to play D1. But it, it wasn't easy, you know, to, 
to do that when yeah. you're not getting a scholarship or anything. You know? Wow, that's brave. Yeah. So you go, you kill it in Seton, how do you say Seton Hall. Seton yeah. Hall. New Jersey. And was it, is that like a, because I don't know much about soccer college here. Is, yeah. it, is that like a champion, championship or anything like that? So, NCAA? yeah, they're called, they're in the Big East Conference mm-hmm. and there's the NCAA soccer tournament. Okay. We, we qualified and played in that tournament for a few of the years I was there. We made the Sweet 16, if you're familiar with basketball. Yeah. You know? So we made it pretty far in the national tournament. We were a really good team, but mm-hmm. there were a lot of other good teams too. But it, it was a great experience. It really challenged me, and it, yeah. it helped me to take that next step. At this point, MLS has been formed, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how were you drafted into yes. New England Revolution? So I was drafted... Um, 42nd pick to the Columbus crew. Oh, wow. But the thing is, though, since it's so competitive, at that time there was only 12 teams in the MLS. Like, it was a small league. Yeah. And so there was about 100, 150 people drafted that year, um, and about 50 people ended up signing contracts. So I was drafted, and I didn't make the team. So even though you were drafted, there's no guarantee because you're a young American player coming out of college, competing against the world pretty much at that level. You know, you're recruiting guys from all over the world. So I, um, I got cut from the Columbus crew and signed by the New England Revolution. So it was really interesting because um, the, the crew drafted me before the New England Revolution could. They were interested in me as well. I got cut became available and they signed me right away so it was really wow. a blessing in a way because then I got to go back to my where I grew up yeah which is what you wanted in which I had always dreamed of playing mm-hmm. for the New England Revolution like ever since I was 10 yeah. I said I want to be a pro and then when they announced the revolution they were playing at Foxborough Stadium oh wow I always wanted to do that mm-hmm. you know through the grace of God and his providence mm-hmm. you know 15, 10 11 years later there I was in that locker room with my jersey with my name on it and that was pretty incredible were you number 23? yes I was That's at all. New England yeah I looked you up yeah. yeah for that team I was 23 um, because my favorite psalm is Psalm 23 the oh. Lord is my shepherd I shall mm-hmm. not want and you know Michael Jordan and yeah, uh, my Beckham. older brother like, like Beckham <laughs> so to go back a little bit, uh, when, tell me your salvation story. Yeah. How did that happen? Was you, you, your family Christian or was that? Yeah. Like... Praise be to God, I was raised Christian. You mm-hmm. know, I got to give my parents so much credit. So I grew up in the Catholic tradition and my parents baptized me as an infant. So I like to say when I was four days old, I was saved. Praise be to God. <laughs> baptized, welcomed in the family. I don't get much credit, but I do give credit to my parents, yeah. you know. And uh, I, I mean, I think of the, the story with the man on the roof where the friends lowered mm-hmm. the, the paralytic down and Jesus healed him. And Jesus said, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. And that was like my parents. Because of their faith, I was welcomed into the family of God as an infant. And that grace uh, pursued me, pursued my heart because they taught me the faith. But I, I would say my childhood was more like a, a youth uh, or an immature faith. So, you know, how St. Paul talks about, you know, the milk and, um, you know, the, the, the baby's milk, per se. You start out, but not the meat, you know, and, and until I was really choosing it for myself. I mean, I would go on retreats and I would learn a bit, but I never really had that full passion. It was more of a tradition and more going through the motions at times. But at the same time, God was pulling at my heart. So I would pray. I would go to church every Sunday. Um, but until I really gave up everything or, or gave my heart entirely to Jesus and that happened in college um, so that's another way of saying I came to faith or born yeah. again um, in college where 
you know, I, I was Christian. I would go to church every Sunday, but on Saturday night, I was not living as a Christian, you know? And that contradiction, that conflict in my soul really gave me uneasiness and not pe- I didn't have peace because of that. So I was restless and I'm like, uh, I've met some missionaries who really impacted me when I was like, you know, I want to live the faith, but I don't see people doing it who I look up to. So is it even possible? And then when I saw people who I look up to living the faith, you know, religiously or practicing the faith consistently, giving their all to Jesus, then I was like, I can do this. And when I let Jesus into all areas of my life, you know, that just set me on fire for him. So that could be like born again, but I definitely was baptized as a youth, but really let Christ into all areas of my life, um, my junior year of college. So you... After you get born again, did that impact your future? Because I know it was soccer, but was there anything else that you wanted yeah. to do on top of it? Well, it, it really helped me be better at soccer, too, in a way. <laughs> I mean, because it's all God. And, you know, yeah. I, I eliminated a lot of the distractions, that party mm-hmm. lifestyle, you know, the things that the world gives you, that secular mindset. And I just surrendered it more to God and was more committed and driven and obedient to where he was calling me in my life. And mm-hmm. so up to that point, I was not a, a shoo-in, like I was not one of the top players in the country and only the top players get drafted. But then, you know, that summer after I gave my life to Christ, I played on this Premier Development League, which is a summer league, and I had a phenomenal season there, which led into my college season, which I had a phenomenal season there as well. And then I got drafted and went to the MLS Combine. And then, so that really catapulted my career. So. I, I mean, I didn't come to Christ because he'd make me good at soccer. But when I came to Christ, you, <laughs> you know, became he, good. I became a lot better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He put wow. things in perspective for me. So how was that first season for the New England Revolution? So I told you how exciting like this manifestation of my dreams and vision coming together was. And mm-hmm. it was exciting and it yeah. was powerful, impactful. And then it was terrible. <laughs> like, if I were to say what my first season was like, I would yeah. say it was probably one of my... I, yeah, it was probably my least favorite season. I had 15 years as a pro, and my first year was really tough because I didn't get to play. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, mm-hmm. I made the team. It was awesome. And then I got to sit on the bench, <laughs> and I didn't play much. And that's, like, one of the hardest things in pro sports is, yeah. is injuries and being on the bench. So it was very humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, praise be to God. I had that support system with my family, being at home and yeah. friends there. So soccer wasn't my everything. But it was extremely, you know, you go from being the top dog in college, you captain of the team, leading the entire league and assists, one of the top in the country for assists that year, to sitting on the bench is extremely humbling, yeah. you know. So it was tough, man. Wow. Yeah. So did you get better in the second season as you went on? Yes. So I got I got better as a player. You know, you adjust mm-hmm. to the game. Yeah. Um, is they, it much quicker in MLS? It, it is. Or is yeah. it more physical? Because I know, like, different I mean, leagues it's both. in, like, in yeah. Europe, Spain... Is more technical. Spain's more technical. And then Premier League, very physical, physical. fast. Mm-hmm. Germany, I'm not sure. They're more technical, but sometimes I think they're more... Def- well, Italian is more defensive, obviously. But Germany, I'm still trying to... Germany's f- very structured. Yes. You know? That's very good very word. Organ- and it's funny how the culture of the countries impacts the way that we play. Exactly. <laughs> and the U.S. is like a melting plot. Yeah. Of, you know, you yeah, get all F- sorts of players. Because you got Me- Spanish teams, yeah. I mean, Mexicans and a lot of South Americans. Yeah. And then, I don't know if Canada has a lot of players, but also you have all. Few, yeah. So, what is the MLS? The MLS, when I was playing, it was, um, 
it was a little bit of both. It was physical and technical, at least a lot more than what I was used to. It was a few steps up. I wasn't ready for that level at yes. that time. Mm -hmm. And so it was very tough to get into. I mean, if I had gone to Spain or Europe to play, I wouldn't have even stepped on in the field because <laughs> I wasn't at that level. But for the MLS, it was still a little bit above me. Mm -hmm. But attainable. They, yeah, but attainable, exactly. But they were physical and they were talented. And I was like... Not quite, but I was close. You yeah. Know? But in, and then after year one, I was closer. Year yeah. two. You what know? was the one thing in your game that just changed that helped you adapt? Speed of play. Okay. So speed, always speed of play with each level and just making quicker decisions better. Better decisions and mm -hmm. making them faster. And that's hard to do unless you're in that environment. And yes. I'd never been in that environment, so I was thrown into the deep end. Mm -hmm. And I was drowning at a bit at first, but then you learn to swim. Yeah. You know, and then you adapt and you get better. And now, I say now, I haven't played pro in three and a half years. But in my mind, <laughs> I can step on that field right. with those MLS players. Because you know what's needed. Yeah. Later in my career, I was capable of playing MLS for sure. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Because I always say the most important Thing or skill I have is your first touch. Yeah. Because if your first touch is perfect, you bought yourself two extra seconds yeah. to do whatever you're going to do. That's important. And then sure. after that, you also by then you already know where you're going to go. Yeah. It just simplifies your game for you. You don't have to battle like to retain possession and soccer talk. Yeah, first touch <laughs> is key. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited I got a soccer back and actually talk <laughs> ta tactical stuff with, not just like, yeah, they did good. Your audience. I don't what, who who's your audience usually? Mostly just like hardcore well, Christians. You're gonna learn soccer today. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it varies. It depends yeah. on the interviewee. Right, right. So anyway, second year you get better, you see the speed of play, you kinda ca you catch up to a little bit. To where the standard. Yeah. What was the you, what would you say you brought to the team? Because now that you're caught up. So, yeah, and I wasn't completely caught up. I was still sitting on the bench a bit. They were loaning me out to minor league teams, which was oh, beneficial for me because yes. I got to play more. Mm -hmm. And the training sessions were good. So what separated me from other players and what helped me have a successful career was my work rate. Okay. So my work rate and my fitness. Midfield. Yeah, in the midfield. So I was, even in the MLS, I wasn't the most talented, like, but I, I was the most fit on the entire team. Like if we did a, a fitness challenge, and that that was the same with every team throughout. The, that, I took great pride in that. And by being super fit and working hard, I could work harder for longer, which allowed me to get better quicker. And so you saw throughout my career just a consistent improvement. You know, if you've heard of the ten thousand hour rule of of uh, it takes about ten thousand hours to become an expert at anything. They say, you know, that's Malcolm Gladwell in his Outliners book. But just that when we talk about how talent is made, um, you know, those neural pathways through time, through training, and proper environment, proper coaching, proper motivation, um, I was able to stay that path over time and got better and better each year. Wow. So how long did you play in the MLS? I played two years, just my okay. first two years pro. Yeah. And then I would get loaned out and go to preseason, off season on occasion. Mm -hmm. So my first two years, I got drafted by the Columbus Crew. Okay. Um, I got cut. Yeah. I got signed by the New England Revolution. I played two years there. We played in the MLS finals in 2005. So 2004, 2005 were my first. That was an amazing experience, you know, wow. playing in the MLS finals. Yeah. Um, and then I got signed by the Charleston Battery, which was phenomenal. So that was. I sat the bench my first two years pro, which was really hard, and then I started. I went to the minor leagues, and 
a, a great team. Great, they had their own stadium, beautiful city, Charleston, South Carolina. You know, they get four, six thousand fans a game. It's not as big as MLS, but I was playing and I was loving soccer again. Mm -hmm. So then I went Charleston, and then I went Richmond Kickers for seven years. Yeah. Is this a USL? Yeah, USL. Okay. Yeah, and then. I finished with the switchbacks here. How long were you at the switch with the Four years. Wow. I was their first signed player too. Really? Yeah. So this must be like an amazing for, to you to, for you to see they have a new stadium, mm -hmm. like 10,000. I'm a little million. jealous of that. Oh. <laughs> see, right after I retire, they build their new stadium. <laughs> Darn it. But um, I always dreamed of playing in Colorado because that's where my wife's from. So I met her. I was with the Rapids okay. in the off season. I want to say in 2005. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I met my wife in, at the end of 2005, um, it, or 2006 actually. Okay. And so where did you meet? We met in Denver um, because she was a missionary in Colorado, and I was staying. I was playing with the Rapids in the off-season and staying with an, a missionary who was in the same group with her. And we hit it off, and that's the short story of it. But, yeah. And how many kids do you have? Five. Five? Wow. Yeah. Uh, how old was the 12, age? 10, 7, 5, and 2. Wow. Very so, soon it'll be a two-year gap, so I'll remember quick. It's like 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. So wait, when you were, because I'm, I'm assuming the minor league does not pay well, like enough for you to just live off that. It's a good assumption. Yeah. <laughs> it's an accurate assumption. Yeah, because especially at that time, because I just, MLS, maybe in the past five years, all the players were able to get paid and kind of live off that. Obviously yeah. the top players. Even when I first started MLS, the salaries were very low. Yeah. So how would you supplement? Um, so your first couple of years pro, I didn't supplement. You, you know, you make 30,000 bucks and you're like living like a king, you know, when you're single and <laughs> yeah. on your own and, and they give you housing and you're just like, wow, what am I going to do with all this extra money? Because you're thinking <laughs> from a college mindset, but then yeah. you, you want to buy a house and you want to have a car and you want to get married and you want to have kids. And it's like, you can't afford that on, mm -hmm. you know, twenty five, thirty thousand $30,000 a year. So, um, no, the, the minor league salary is not much. Um, I, again, I gave it to God. You know, I was like, God, do you want me to do this? And, you know, when you get married, that's a vocation, that's a commitment. So, yes, God, I know you want me to be married. Therefore, in relation to that, how am I going to provide for my family? Because that's something I know to be true. Um, that's what I'm certain that I'm called to once I make that commitment. And, and God said, pursue soccer. And I did. And my wife was so supportive. And so during my pro career, I built businesses to, to bring in revenue, and it was extremely uh, fruitful and such yeah. a blessing. So you're an entrepreneur in Entrepreneur, heart. yes, sir. So as because you, you said you, re, you retired three years ago mm -hmm. at the Switchbacks. Mm -hmm. How did you transition from pro-life to, like, not regular life, but not... Because when you're playing sports all the time, you're in front of stadiums, yeah. in front of people, it's, it's different yes. from, like, 9 to 5. Yeah. So how was that transition and what did you do after? Yeah, the transition was not too bad. Um, having a 15-year career, I've seen a lot of people transition. I've seen mm -hmm. people do it well and people do it poorly. So I really wanted to do it well. Um, so there's a lot to it. It has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. Um, so I, I was volunteering with Save the Storks, awesome pro-life ministry, headquartered in Colorado Springs here. Very passionate about pro-life ministry and, and serving moms and pregnant pregnant moms and saving babies. Um, and I was volunteering with them as my career was winding down or as the season was winding down. 
they were pursuing me and I just took it to God and I decided to leave pro sports and enter pro-life ministry full-time. So I, I had my last game on a Friday in Seattle and then I started full-time with Save the Storks on a Monday when we got back. So I went right from pro soccer to pro-life ministry. I've been doing pro-life ministry with Save the Storks for three and a half years and it's been a, such wow. a blessing. Was there any withdrawals? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there is. And so another big part of the transition I needed to stay physically fit and active. I think that's important for the body and the mind. And then I completely cut off from soccer. And, oh. I, you know, you see me at the indoor place. Mm -hmm. I, that was the first time, like, this past Seriously? season. Seriously? Yeah, so it's been three and a half. It's been, I took three years off cold turkey from competitive hmm. soccer. I coached my kids. But from me playing, I, nothing competitive for three years. Now I started doing a little bit of indoor. So does that mean Sunday night you're available? Let's go, right? Hi, this <laughs> Sunday know. night, can you come? Uh, how much you paying? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a we'll hug. We'll see. We'll, oh, that's actually... <laughs> We'll see. So anyway, so that's good. Have you been in contact with Switchbacks? Are you, are you trying to kind of be like the OG on there and kind of help the young people? Or are you still? I've been in touch. I know the president and the head coach really well. Um, they'd like to have me in there on occasion. COVID really, because they have a bubble thing. So we were talking about it initially and then we've taken a step back um, because of bubble protocol. Um, so, but maybe. Yeah. I, my goal, my dream, don't tell anybody. This is just between you and me. Just make sure no one else knows. They can't see us. Yeah, just, I, I want, I'd love to play. I'm just kidding about that. You can keep recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to play in the Open Cup with them oh, or with someone can at you? some point. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, tournament, an amateur where teams from all over can play in it. So that's like, I don't have the time to commit to yeah. play. But if I could play in like a couple week tournament, that mm -hmm. could be fun. I don't know. I like indoor for now and I like coaching my yeah. kids. But wow. We'll see. So now back to your life now. We're mm -hmm. saving the storks. What, why are you so passionate about it? Well, so I grew up pro-life. I grew up Christian. My folks were passionate about it. Back in the day, there was Operation Rescue, which was a, a popular ministry where the men would stand outside and link arms in front of abortion clinics and, and say and, and they would shut down that clinic for that day so it would save babies um, by doing that but it wasn't the most winsome way of doing it um, so my father would do that so he'd spend some nights in jail because they'd end up arresting the people it was peaceful protests but they'd just remove them and it would just clog the wheels of the abortion industry you know so i saw my parents do that their witness was powerful and then my youngest sister has special needs and so for her to be born and to see her impact on our family, like the value of her life and the joy and love um, that she brought to our family and also the amazing person she was. And then the understanding the reality that 90% of special needs babies are eliminated before they're born. Um, I, it really stirred a fire in my heart. So as I was doing pro soccer, I was building businesses. I was always involved with ministry, you know, as, as Jesus, captured my heart leading different ministries and I still do that today but um, I felt the call from the Lord probably about seven years ago just I need to be more proactive in, in pro-life you know as a man we can't sit on the sidelines we can't watch this abuse of women and children from afar as much as the society will say you know you don't have an ovary you don't have a perspective but or an opinion or the right to have an opinion and yet as a Christian I say as a man as a Christian I say true religion is standing up for the vulnerable 
and as St. James says, it's um, caring for the widows and the orphans, you know. So um, that was on my heart, and that's when I started volunteering with Save the Storks. Um, I was already praying outside of clinics on occasion, doing 40 days for life and volunteer um, in that regard. But then, you know, he kept pushing me further and further into the ministry. And then to have the founder, Joe Baker, give me an offer, I was just like so grateful. Yeah. So outside of the event that we just had, what kind of other stuff do you all do? And I was before that, I was at another event in Lynchburg, Virginia, that pa the past weekend, and we were ministering to men, 4,000 men. So we even will, will target and serve men, which is not common in the pro-life space, but men are half of the equation. And so um, we do, we sponsor events. We do, I, I specifically do donor development. So I meet with passionate people who love our mission, and I, I encourage them to to be a part of it with their resources, but I also share the impact that our programs are making, such as our, our mobile medical unit where we're park, we'll park out in front of an abortion clinic and the mom will have the option to come on and see her baby and hear the heartbeat. And when that happens, 80% choose life. So it's an extremely powerful um, option and amazing impact where the moms can see their child on the ultrasound and so when you're providing the resources, which is extremely powerful, and let, let moms know their real options, you see a lot of fruit, they choose life. So rather than old school operations rescue where they were just stopping abortion, stopping you know, the, the terminating of the child, we're showing the truth and that's being really fruitful. So I think that approach is very appealing to me. Yeah. And as a, uh, what is your role in Save Storks? Development. So I do. I'm the regional development manager. Mm -hmm. So I help raise money. So, you want to donate? Important. <laughs> donate. You guys want to donate? SaveTheStorks.com/slash. I put. I put in the description. Yeah. And so, have you? What kind of feed, uh, negative or positive feedback have you all received? Because I know that's a very hot topic it is. in our community. Yeah, it's a very passionate topic sensitive i'd say but for me as a pro athlete I, you know i could have gone to africa and fed starving children perhaps and there's a valid need and great honor in that but i felt i need a little more controversy you know <laughs> i need a little more challenge i need to compete right right so i was totally cool with with the passion and the sensitivity of this this mission and I get positive and negative feedback, mostly positive based on the environment. You know, if we're at a Christian men's conference, yeah. most of that is positive. You know, if I'm out, I have my car wrapped and save the storks, you know. So if I'm out at the movies, you know, I came back from the movie the other day and someone put a dirty diaper on my car. You know, I've had the middle finger waved at me and all wow. sorts of curse words. And, you know, that happens and, and you're told, like, you don't have... Um, you're not a woman, you don't have an opinion, you don't, there's no space for your opinion in this um, arena. I've been told all sorts of things. Even I'll tell people, like, they'll ask, oh, what do you do? And I'll say, um, I serve moms and save babies. And they'll say, I'm pro-choice, screw you. <laughs> and I'm like, I, was, I thought I was saying something nice there. <laughs> but people are very sensitive about it, and you've got to yeah. be aware of that. So you always approach it delicately where you are. Um, a lot of times, if I'm in a very secular environment, I'll just say, you know, I'm in a ministry that helps pregnant moms. And so you can't really be against that. And then 
we go from there. Oh, really? What do you do? And then and then you feel it out, and then and then you dive deeper and deeper. Yeah. You know, because there are buzzwords like even the word pro life. Oh yeah. Some people get really sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. So you have to just be wise on how you. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what is uh, when you developing pretty much savings, raising up money? What do you look at? Like if you like next fiscal year, what's the things that kind of go through your mind? So I look at who are already donating to save the storks, mm-hmm. and then who has a passion for pro-life and the resources that this could be a great fit for them. So those are the two main areas that I work with. And I spend most of the time just getting to know and loving on the people who already support us and, and telling them about the amazing work that God has done through our ministry. So yeah, it's bringing in new donors, yes, but also sharing the mission because without those resources, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So we need to let them know what we're doing. We need to let them know where they are, they are appreciated and we're praying for them. And I pray with donors all the time. Yeah. It's great. So that's amazing. As we come here to the end, we'll, we'll finish with a little soccer talk because then I have to look you get it. show. We definitely have to talk about soccer. <laughs> but you having how many how many daughters do you have? Three. Did that does that impact how passionate you are with uh, Save the Storks? Because you have yeah. three daughters and Yeah. It's critical. Yeah. yeah. We need well and it's also really cool what you're doing here at the road. Like you're yeah. teaching pro-life to kids at a young age and that's hard to do but it's important so I'm trying to do that as well just teaching them the gospel and the dignity of of all life but yeah with you know you deal with a lot of young moms who are feel like they're in a really tough situation so I do picture my daughter when I when I work with some of these moms and that's that's hard but it it only fuels the fire yeah like you know this could have been my daughter how are we going to be there for her? Mm-hmm. Are we going to be judging her, shaming her, making her feel guilty, making her feel awful? Or are we going to come alongside her, let her know she's loved, show her the truth, show her the options, show her the love of Christ mm-hmm. and with compassion? And that's what we try to do at Save the Storks, and that's what I try to do. That's awesome. So, a little soccer talk. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, in the, are you like a student of the game? Do you like watch a lot of? I used to be. Okay. I'm checked out, my friend. <laughs> Since you retired, I'm guessing. I put up a clear wall there. I said, uh, you're you done. Know. Well, that's perfect because my question is from back in the day. Okay. What would you say are the three best teams ever assembled? That's a great question. That's a tough man. You probably know better. I, you know, who I like is the the good old boys from Man U with Beckham and and Keno and uh, Gates okay. and Skulls. Yeah. That class, I think, was no. it like the class ninety two. Ninety two, mm-hmm. and they had a documentary that was inspiring. Um, so that I I would say is one, and I don't know all the accolades that they had, but they did pretty darn good. It, it with, was with with Sir Alex couple, Ferguson, right? Couple champ, um, Premier League titles, yeah. And then. Uh, Toka Toka with Lionel Messi in Barcelona, oh, yeah. and they set a standard. They set the revolution in the in the uh, the Champions League, all their titles. So mm-hmm. I don't know what years they were, but I, oh, I, eight to twelve. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So in with Ronaldo and Henri, and then um, you know Messi, of course, and uh, uh, what's his name on the wing? Alvarez running up and down the wing. And oh, Danny Alvarez. Puyo and yeah, that was a very good team. Uh, I saw them practice once up in Massachusetts. They played up there. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah. It was funny. I had long hair at the time, and I looked like Puyo, and he came up next to me. We got a picture. It was funny. But uh, those are the top two I can think of. I mean, what else, man? Who, who else? I mean, I would probably say the 1970 Brazilian team. The, the national team? Yeah. Okay. 
that was probably. And then, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo with some with Real, Real Madrid. With some Real Madrid. It's got to be yeah, in the mix, right? Definitely. That but was, then the national teams. I mean, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Trying to think who else. I'm that I'm East Germany. No, I guess that was West Germany at that time. You know your history with soccer, huh? Still know the game, man. Yeah. <laughs> I okay, love the game. Okay. But anyway, yeah. So that's yeah, good teams. I don't want to get distracted. Who's your favorite? Right, like right, team? Yeah. Arsenal. Arsenal, okay. Arsenal and Real Madrid. And that's because of Arsenal, Thierry Henry. Yeah. And Real Madrid. Did you get to see Thierry in, no, in he, MLS? No. No. That's why I like Red Bulls, because yeah, he played for them. He did. But um, Brazilian Ronaldo, he's my all time favorite. He's so fun. He was. I loved his attitude, right? Oh my goodness, he was so yeah. good. But injuries. Yeah. Injuries really. But Brazil, anyway. Brazil has that fun flavor. Yes. So right now. So Vinicius, are you a striker? Do you like Ronaldo? Uh, yeah, but I've realized I like the num- attack in number 10. Okay. Like, so I, here at Indo, I'm in five aside, I'm yeah. five on the field. I end up playing more mid. I did like, I did play strike in college, but 10 is kind of where I'm, nice. I'm really loving. I just like right. to take the pace, find them through balls, like late. Sweet. So that's my, you know, my sweet spot right now. Even when we play, well, when we play 11s, yeah. they put me in the wing because I'm old fast. How uh, 29. Okay, yeah. so you're getting to that. You you can probably go max speed right now, but in about three to five more years, you're gonna start slowing down. <laughs> so, so uh, I suggest this is what happened to me because I played wing a little bit too. Yeah, I started moving more to the middle of the field. Yeah, so. <laughs> number ten is a good idea. Right, because they always put me out in the yeah. wing. When, when they we... put the wing or the strikers, they mm-hmm. gotta be so fast. Oh my goodness! And then we try to play a three-five-two, and they put me as a wing back. Something like just Bro. running up and back. <laughs> You get fit out here in the altitude, right? Yes. Wow. But anyway, thanks, Luke, for your time. Yeah. This was a very uh, insightful it interview. Was. And my first soccer star soccer player guest. You're funny. Not a star, but I'm here. Star in my eyes. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> but anyway, thank you, everyone, for watching the show. I'm your host, Emmanuel. Remember, we all have a story. What's your story? Goodbye.